Welcome to Noise Creators Podcast Episode 3. Today we have an awesome episode. My bud Rob Freeman, who used to be in a band called Hidden in Playview, I guess actually still is in one since they're back at it again, as well as the pilot, is my guest today. Rob and I have come from the same place, we came from the same scene, and it was really great to talk to him because we've talked a whole ton on the internet, but this was the first time we got to really vibe out about recording nerd stuff and it was awesome i one of the better conversations rob's a super super insightful dude he's recorded bands that you probably know like you know gym class heroes hit the lights armor for sleep cobra starship as well as tons of others rob is a super super active producer because he's super talented and one of my favorite things about rob's work is that there's so many producers that you know, while they're successful, when I hear their work, all I can hear is what I would want to change. And Rob always just, he makes a great record with bands and really puts a great touch on it. And I love that about his work. So stay tuned and listen to what Rob has to say. He's got a lot of really insightful things, whether you're a musician, producer, or whoever. This is an awesome episode. Check it out. It's so great to finally talk to you. You and I have had a million mutual friends and projects over the years, yet somehow we've never gotten to talk. Absolutely. So, to break the ice, tell me what's your uh, recording chain for your voice today? Oh, cool. Um, I've actually got it going through. I just got the uh, the Neve Portico series, the uh, Rupert Neve uh, 500. So, it's the 511 Mic Pre. Oh, nice. And you liking that? I, I love it. Once I got it, I'm like, I need 10 more. <laughs> yeah, those are great pieces. Uh, hitting that pre, then we're going to uh, a Blue Stripe 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a distressor, which is actually bypass. Never mind, and <laughs> <laughs> and then just right into my converter, my uh, my Lynx Aurora sixteen. And what mic are you in? Oh, we are using that Neumann TLM one hundred three. It's a classic mic, even though it's not even that old. Exactly. So, tell me about your background in music. Obviously, the listeners probably know that you were in uh, Hidden in Plain View, but t- tell me tell me the whole deal. The whole deal. Yeah. I mean, I got into music. I mean, super early on, my dad's a musician, so music was always in the house. I was playing drums when I was like four years old before I could even like reach the kick pedal kind of thing. So that's what was how I got into music. Didn't really get into like a serious band. I mean, when I say serious, I mean like playing with other people. <laughs> um, so probably like, you know, late grade school, you call it 12, 13, 14. And that really was just me and my one friend hanging out on the weekend sleepover kind of thing, you know? You know, from there, I, I definitely uh, I got the, the bug, and uh, it's all I ever wanted to do. So, you know, kicked around in a couple different high school bands. And then, you know, as far as, like, my music career goes, like, it wasn't until, I would say, actually, I think it was, like, I was around, like, 19 or 20, I think it was, when um, we started getting some label interest. And, you know, by 21, we, uh, we signed a deal with uh, Drive Through Records, and... You know, that, that just went, that just took off so quick. <laughs> it really seemed like that was an era where bands like, is like you hit that signature and it was like you went on a very steep diagonal fast. It, it was wild, man. I, I tell the story all the time where, um, and actually I crossed paths with you years ago at a Bloomfield Ave Cafe, if you remember that place. Yes, I do. In, in Montclair. And uh, we would play there probably once a month to like the same 50 people, maybe 75 if we got lucky, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and of those 75 people, it was mostly just the other bands playing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so we did that whole scene and like no joke, I remember playing there one night, it was like a Friday night to the, those people and then drive through announces they signed us and we were playing the same club like a week later, two weeks later, which wasn't uncommon back then to do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 
and we show up the next week and I remember literally pulling up, you know, in our cars and we're unloading gear and there's already a line at, out, out the door. I'm like, what, we're like, what the hell's going on? You know, like, wow, who's playing tonight? And they're like, oh, you guys are playing tonight. You know, that's a big deal. We're like, but we were just here last week and no one was here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really would be that funny thing of like, it really was like a black or white thing is either. It was like the show is packed with people you don't know or you know pretty much everybody or you've seen them before. And you're like, okay, I know that person kind of. Right. It was crazy. I mean, and like that just was a, like you said earlier, it was a really steep like escalator that we just kind of jumped on. And, uh, you know, we ri- rode that for, I think it was like five or six years we toured full time. Wow. Got to do a lot of great stuff. Not to sound like the old high school, like, you know, those are the days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, those days have come back. You guys have recently been playing some shows. Exactly, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, it definitely was like some great memories. You know, I uh, made my, some of my best friends and just a lot of great stuff came out of it. That's awesome. So what gave you the producer vote? Uh, I mean, early on, it's, I, I was just fascinated by it. And I don't really even know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I was definitely the kid, like, going down, like, when my dad was practicing, and I would, like, take their PA system out when he wasn't looking, you know. And I'd hook up, like, a cassette player to, like, the PA and figure out a way to route, you know, eight different microphones to to my recorder, you know. Yeah, groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that, 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 that stuff back in the day, though, the kids, t- you know, don't know how hard some of that stuff was and how long you used to have to spend at Radio Shack trying to find the right adapter to make that happen. Oh, I know. And, th- and those guys knew a lot of information to help you at Radio Shack, too. Yeah. I remember, like, <laughs> kind of a side note, going to Radio Shack one time, and I didn't understand mono and stereo. Mm-hmm. And so I had, like, this, like, Y adapter, and I'm like, I go to the guy, I'm like, what's the difference between the mono and the, and the stereo? And he literally goes, well, one's stereo and one's mono. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's also very indicative of uh, Guitar Center Radio Shack help. I'm like, oh, cool. That's great. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I would do like stupid stuff. Like I, I, I used to use headphones for microphones because you can do that, you know. Um, those are my overheads. They sounded awesome. <laughs> God. No, but like that's kind of where I got the bug. But when I really got into recording was so I started off as a drummer. That was like my. Uh, and but you didn't play drums and didn't play music. This was pre pre that. Correct. Right. But early on, you know, I I just I realized that the drummer didn't get any chicks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I started getting into like into songwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's 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 hard to write a song on drums. Let's be honest. So, I would uh, slowly started getting into guitar. The funny thing is, like when you're when you're in a band, you're the drummer, and you have a song idea. Like no one takes you seriously, mm-hmm. um, as the joke goes. Yeah, because like you, you and it, I think if you've ever been in a band, you realize that when you're showing friends a song idea, like you literally have like thirty seconds to sell it. Otherwise, like they're like, no, it's not going to work. You know. So I realized that. Uh, well, hey, if I can record a demo that's somewhat decent and show them the song, then maybe I have a better chance of, of, of you know, get, get getting my a, song, yeah. get my song through. You know, I think it was like my eighth grade graduation or somewhere around there. My parents bought me like a little. Uh, it wasn't a four track; it was actually an eight track, uh, like a cassette one. You know, and and that's kind of where I, I I started doing stuff. And the funny thing about it was I'd record these demos, and my band would like you know pass them around school and stuff, and all of a sudden. Like kids were coming up to me, like the other band in school was like, "Hey, you know, what do you cost? What do you charge to record?" I'm like, "Nothing, <laughs> you know, just come come hang out one Saturday, and we'll, we'll. I can't promise you much, you know, but we'll try." So that that's really when I, you know, I got my first gig. <laughs> that's that's funny. It's very, very similar similar to mine. Was it? Yeah, I, I was four track, and I was like, "I guess give me Doritos and beer." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
what else could a 16 year old want? Yeah. Give me like some movie tickets or like, you know, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, you keep on going with that. You, I imagine your band starts liking your songs more. Actually, yeah, around that point, I actually switched to guitar for the band, mm-hmm. believe it or not. This is like an old like, high school ska band. <laughs> not nice. Not to date myself. <laughs> yeah. we, 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 um, we all have a dark ska past at our age group. <laughs> right. You know, uh, so I actually ended up switching to guitar in that band. and we, It was kind of cool. The drummer, the original guitar player also played drums. And one day we realized it'd probably be better if we just switched, you know. Um, so that was fun. Uh, where do we leave off? I forget. <laughs> so you were recording some bands uh, on your four track. You switched to guitar, and then what happened? Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, I just I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like, I think it's we're pretty lucky, or anyone's lucky if they figure out what they want to do at that age. You know. Mm, yeah. Um, so from there, it was like you know just a matter of like how do I how do I make it happen? You know. And uh, so would you? So what'd you do to make it happen? Do you have a studio in your parents' basement or? Yeah, yeah, briefly I did. Um, you know, I went to like the, the county college here. Uh, Morris County College in Jersey actually has a really good recording program. Kind of, fa- as they call it, the Ivy League of community colleges. Yeah, man. It's, it's tough to get in there, you know. You got to live in Morris County. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so I actually I went there learn as much as I possibly could. And actually early on, I got the great advice from someone that said, that said you know, if you want to do recording, don't study it in school. Yeah. They're, like, they're like, you know what? No freaking band. And to this day, has any band ever asked you, Jesse, like, hey, can we uh, see your, uh, your resume? You know, or, or, your certificate uh, from Institute of Audio Research. <laughs> Institute of Audio Research. Yeah, never in my yeah. life. Actually, my first job, uh, Alan Dow just didn't want to hire me because he had bad experiences with kids from recording schools feeling entitled. Hey man, I can I I uh, actually probably don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean there is a thing that a lot of people, especially if you spend seventy five thousand dollars at full sale, you feel a little entitled, and it really doesn't mean a lot. Right. This is a whole different topic, but I think like you know you just you're putting yourself into debt from the go, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard enough to make money doing what we do, let alone uh, paying off a college debt that big, you know. It's it's totally true, and I, I've done whole episodes of the podcast on how scary that must be for people because recording school now costs quadruple what it did when we were younger. And it make, and like, why is it going up? <laughs> well, that, 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 that's a whole different podcast. You know, it's like horrifying. rates are going down, but the tuition is going up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really horrifying. So to get yeah. back on track though, so you were doing demos and obviously you had some good success even in like your parents, but like bands were getting signed and uh, doing well off what you were doing with them. Yeah, it, it worked out great because, you know, I started the home studio thing, which was really crude, but it was, it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, like a Digi 001 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too, I mean, like I honestly was only in college for two years before we got picked up and, and you know, we were touring full time. So it worked out great because I was able to like plan these like recording, you know, these, uh, these projects in between tours, you know. Mm-hmm. So, hey, you know a band like Royden would hit me up and be like, yeah, we're, uh, we want to do an EP. I'm like, all right, I'll be home January 12th to the 17th. Let's get it, you know, hmm. we'll get together and do it. You're right. I mean, bands were getting signed. I did the, the early Houston call stuff, which you did as well. Yeah. Right there in the, in the carpeted basement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, I think that was the thing is we were both doing the exact same thing, just towns away, same bands, sometimes same EPs, things like that. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that's, it worked out great. And I think it was, I think I, I got really lucky with the band's success because I think there's no better way to get your name out there 
then, you know, then having like, you know, some success in that, in that department, I feel like it helps a lot, you know, well, people bond with your music. They're hearing about you and they're like, okay, I want what he does. Right. And it starts like, if nothing else, it starts a conversation, you know, mm -hmm. that's a great way to put it actually. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where uh, stuff started like taking off and yeah. So then built your own studio. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your studio. This I'm actually in my second studio now. I, I oh, built my first one. It was a, a really great friend and uh, family friend owned a shipping company and he had warehouse space and extra space and he was super generous and really took me under his wing was like hey man you know at the time i was recording his son's band who's a uh like a distant cousin of mine really he's like when i started talking about the idea of starting a studio he's like well you know we got plenty of space at the warehouse so uh, that's where i did my first build out mm -hmm. which was a lot of work <laughs> yeah uh and you know, like as great as like the gesture was, you know, it really it was it was still a warehouse in like an industrial park. I mean, there was no running water back where I was, so we had to like share the bathroom at the office, and you know, they didn't really want us in there during like work hours. So you know, but Not it ideal. No, yeah, but it was perfect for me because you know, he uh, he basically gave me the space for like you know free. And anytime I went to pay him, he's like, "Well, just record some demos for Josh," you know. So wow, it worked out really great. That's great. Uh, I, I can't, yeah, I can't thank Roger enough for giving me that opportunity. But unfortunately, the the the, the time kind of, our luck kind of ran out. Like we had some issues with some coding and whatnot. You know, small oh, details. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 is a common one. I think enough uh, for the kids who think about building a studio out there. I think we can both give the advice of make sure your building's actually in code that Completely. you build, that you spend a lot of money to go into. Because yeah, I've had the exact same problem. Yeah, I mean, we, me and my father actually. We spent two months. I mean, the thing about that space was there was no wall, so we had to put the whole thing together. You know, wow. Um, yeah, it was a it was a big job. It was definitely in over my head kind of feeling, mm -hmm. but great at the same time. You know, if if someone told me how much work it was going to be, I never would have done it. But I just you, you get to a point where you're already in it. You're like, well, I just got to keep going. You know, I I think there's also the thing that you just can't tell how anybody how much work it is to build out a studio until you've done it. No, and I think I think I actually can totally relate with the contractor that you hire, and they're like, "Yeah, it'll take a week," mm -hmm. and it takes like a month. You're like, "I I get it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so then you get to the studio you're in now. Yeah, so we we get we actually got kicked out of the other place, tore the place down. I literally like packed up the wood, like I saved yeah. like the beams and put it in like a, a U-Haul and drove it over to this new space. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, because because wood is expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, just any dollar you can save in the studio is always, it's the, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's the advice that you give bands or the advice for when you're building out, it's like, well, not buying another bag of Roxol 704 when you could just stuff some in. Exactly. Yeah, it goes a long way. And the thing is that I think people don't realize, too, is like when you're doing that, like you can't work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so we... Uh... We actually, um, kind of a funny story. Well, not a funny story, but you know, I found the new lease for the new place. It's, it's a, we'll get to that later, but it's an awesome place. We actually showed up, like I, you know, met the landlord and he's like, yeah, you know, I'll have the, uh, the place ready for you. Uh, I think it was like October 1st or something like that. I explained to him, I'm like, Hey, I'm leaving this other place. Would you mind if I stop by like a week or two ahead of time to start dropping off like some of the equipment, you know, I'm like, you know, I won't start building. I'll just kind of put stuff in the corner, you know? He's like, yeah, no problem. So I, we actually showed up like five days before like construction starts. My whole floor had not been touched. Like they're, they used to use my floor as storage, basically. Ooh. And it was just like full. It was like a time machine. It was just full of like 
clutter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was basically, it's kind of like the storage room for like this whole building complex kind of thing, you know? But so yeah, I showed up, I'm like, all right, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a nightmare. It was like showing up and being like, all right, I got to build this studio. And I gave myself like, I was really like, it's my second time. I'll do it a month this time, you know? I'll get started. And uh, the first day I couldn't do anything, you know? Wow. Yeah. You know, so we were like moving junk to one corner to to put a put up a wall, and that you know, and then moving the junk from the corner to another corner to put another. It was it was crazy. Yeah, that that, that sounds very similar to the experience. And I imagine too that you look on the calendar and there's a band coming soon, and you're like, oh my god. Oh yeah, I mean, I I had planned it. I'm like, you know, I'm giving myself like four four or five weeks to do this. Band's gonna be in, and like I was booked out for a month after that. I had to call everyone, and thankfully they all. We're able to push stuff around, you know. I think we lost like one project because of it. It's just, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not the funnest time. So, so you now have this beautiful built-out studio. So, what can you tell us that makes your studio unique aside from um, having one of the cutest dogs on earth running around in it? Oh man, that's 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 very nice of you. I appreciate it, but I'm not gonna. It's very you know, true. I'm not, I'm not gonna disagree. She's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, Molly's Molly's great. Molly's our. Uh, I say she's basically like our uh, our HR department. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, but, she gives a bark to a band member. You're like, oh, I don't know about that guy. <laughs> she's great. You know, I think it's just a really cool vibe I got going on here. It's a nice big space, super open. We've got two different control rooms, which is always helpful. And we just really lucked out with a good sounding live room. And I don't, I don't know a damn thing about like. I mean, I know a little bit about acoustics, but not like the full on. You know, hire a guy to come in and do your room for like $10,000, you know, but we just got lucky, I think with a really good sounding room. Well, I'll say this. I think, I think that there's a, uh, a lot of, I think that that there's a, uh, acoustics industrial complex that wants you to believe that, um, I don't think everything is luck, but there's a lot of things where you can just happen into a great space. If you just do some practical, smart things and don't make stupid decisions. Yeah. Like someone told me a while back, was like, don't do any right angles. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's what the big thing, you know. I don't it's, know. It's, it's totally true. <laughs> I think I think that is a part of it. But it's cool. It, it's it's you know I got a friggin' rock wall behind my drum kit, which is sweet. I mean, that's you don't awesome. get that. You don't get that everywhere. That's like a pretty much built-in diffuser right there. You know, that's uh, that's something that the expensive studios pay a lot of money to get to put right, exactly. You know, and then like we just got locked out with like half my live room's wood floor, and the other half is concrete. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that does something. That does definitely. So I mean, that's it. Just sounds cool, and like. Maybe to some people it doesn't, but to me, I just love the way it sounds. But I mean, also, I think like what makes this space cool is just the location. We're 30 miles outside New York City, but like we're right on that line where everything east is like suburban, urban Jersey, and then everything west is like farmland. You know, mm-hmm. it's cool. It's a good. It's a good little line to be on. We can, you know, and it happens often. We'll take a lunch break and just go for a hike or something. You know, and there's, it just. Little things like that, I think, definitely go a long way, you know? Agreed. I mean, I think there's also a big thing as somebody who lives in New York City but then works outside of it. It's like when I used to rent studios in the city, it's like there's so many distractions that it's hard to concentrate on your record. And I think the further you get away from that, the better it can be oftentimes. I, 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 could, I completely agree with that. So tell me about some of the coolest gear you have in the studio. It's basically like whatever I just bought is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so I'm really digging these Neve Pre's. I just got them like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And actually, what I just got last week was this, uh, this stereo bus compressor called the Overstayer. Oh, I've I'm heard not, of this, but I don't uh, know about it. Dude, you're going to love it. You get one. 
because mm-hmm. they're awesome. If you want to come try it out sometime, feel free. Awesome. It's the only piece of like outboard gear that I own that has a mix knob. Oh, yeah. I used to have a TK Audio SSL compressor that had that. And, oh, did uh, it? Cool. And it definitely was like one of those things I was like, ah, blending. Yes, this is yes. good. And now I think like I use the blend knob on about everything I do. It, well, it's almost like it's at a point now where if it doesn't have a blend knob, you're like, I don't really want to use it. <laughs> it's true. It really is true. It's funny how much that changes things. That was a huge game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that thing's awesome. It, uh, it's really just lit on the drum bus all week and... I'm super excited about it. Nice. So that, that's a, uh, I mean, other cool stuff. I mean, I, I work on a console, which I know a lot of guys don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind console of a, is it? It's a Sound Workshop Series 30. Ah, um, so that so that was at the that was the original console at Tracks East. That's what they had. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh, uh, that that is the case. All the records, I want to say pre ninety eight ninety nine, were done on that. So like that's, a lot of the lifetime stuff and that's so cool to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first met Evitz, that's what he was working on. That's sweet. I mean, it's definitely a love hate thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, I think it's like a 1978, <laughs> so it's channels going in and out all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. not, a, I'm not a super tech guy, so it's just, yeah, you got to kind of just roll with the punches sometimes. Yeah, well, I think that that's the thing with analog gear is you know everybody has to have some, and you're gonna have to learn how to. When stuff goes down, how do you make it work without that thing? Exactly. I mean, and it's not every project I use it on. Pretty much anything that's not super clean pop, I'm using it. But, you know, I've had great results in the box as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's... But it's definitely cool. It's a nice conversation piece. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yes. It makes pictures look awesome. It does, you know. So that's... You know, it's, it just kind of adds to the whole vibe, I guess. But, you know, but there is definitely, like, a thing I like about having just faders in front of me and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to mute and solo, like, instantly instead of, like, dragging a mouse, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's key. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely one of those guys that, you know, I'll say one day, yeah, it sounds better, like, but maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm, I'll admit that it's, a lot of it can be placebo effect, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I think there is no doubt a sound to the stuff, but then there's also times it's like, well, you're not getting a true A, B, Y experiment here, so yes. you can't ever really know for sure what, what, what is what. The only thing I will say about it, mm-hmm. and again, this could be so wrong, I feel like I mix quicker on it. I feel like hmm. sounds come together quicker. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just all in my head, but I feel uh, like no, I have I a hard time. Right. Some, sometimes I have a hard time, like, getting the vocal to sit above the guitars or, or vice versa, you know? And then I feel like with the console, it does do this thing where I'm able to just make things fit better. I don't know. Well, I, Dave Sardi had this really good thing. I think he said once, like, where he's like, you know, you don't need good gear to, to make records, but great gear makes it so you can make good records faster and keep okay. the momentum going and keep the vibe going. Yeah, I would, agree. I would definitely agree with that. You know, you know, unless it's a uh, you know not turning on that day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> great, great point. Which is which has definitely happened a bunch of times. So to get into the more producer side of things, how involved in songwriting do you like to get with a band that comes in? I mean, pretty involved. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you know early on, almost instantly, whether a band is open to it. Mm-hmm. You know, because some people just don't want to even go down that road. You know, totally. Um, but, you know, when it, when it comes to, like, song ideas, like, I'm definitely going to comment on structures. I'm, I'm going to comment on lyrics, especially. And I, I, you know, I don't always win the battle, but I'll definitely bring things up. 
but as far as like flat out songwriting from the from the ground up, like I do that as well. So you know, so someone will come in with like you know we want to do a couple songs. Let's 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 do three songs and let's write one together. You know, which is fun. Awesome. So you you brought up what happens when they do. So so tell me about what happens when you and the band disagree about something. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I like to think that I'm 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 not like that stubborn guy. You know. And actually, I think, I think actually you actually said one time in an interview, like, or maybe somewhere on like Mastermation where you were saying like, you recorded somewhere one time and like the producer just like thought you guys should sound like Metallica. Yes. <laughs> and I, that actually stuck with me. Like, you know what? I, I don't want to sound like Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, to, to, to give the listener idea, like what I basically says, when I was in fifth grade, I went in and the guy would not turn the reverb off the drums. I'm like, dude, we're a punk band. Like <laughs> none of the metal shit. And he wouldn't do it. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to record. Fuck you. <laughs> and my father, like, of course, is like, I spend all this money on studio time for your fifth grade fucking eighth grade band. What the fuck? You're not grateful. I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> Go talk to the engineer. You won't turn the reverb off. Yeah. <sighs> so I think as far as like, Okay, so disagreements, like, yep. I think it's important to let, communication is really important when it comes to anything in life, but production especially, because, you know, if you get off on the wrong start, like, it's going to be hard to get that back, to, to earn someone's trust again, you know? But I think it's also really important to let people know when you disagree with something, not like in a threatening way, but, you know, just let them know, like, I feel, like, I feel this way, you know? At the end of the day, like, I feel like people hire you for a reason, they want your opinion, so that's what you should do, right? But you have to check yourself, like just like you said with the whole Metallica thing. Like there, there is no right or wrong. You know, there's no. It's art. So, you know, like what if like Butch Vig, you know, told Kirk Cobain, like, "Hey, man, I really need you to like articulate your words more." <laughs> that's a great. That's a great line. That's great. <laughs> you know, um, which is something I've definitely said before to like pop singers. <laughs> oh no, no I, I mean, I love an articulated vocal, but there is the time that that guy's mumble works. Exactly. You know. So, like, and if, if that happened and they butted heads, like, Nirvana never would have happened, you know? And not to say, like, what I'm doing is on that great of a scale, but it's, you know, it's something to think about. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's something you definitely bring out. Like, as somebody, you know, I've heard, obviously heard a lot of your records, and one of the things I really appreciate is I'm like, I listen to a lot of records where I can't listen to it a second time because I'm like, man, I want to hear what the fucking singer's saying, and this producer didn't police it, and you're great at that. Cool, thank you, I appreciate that. I think voc vocals are, like, that's the thing I feel like is one of my strengths, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. So, so to to get into that, what do you most often bring to the production? You feel like in like the, I think like everybody has like a sixty percent of the time they're bringing this to it. What do you see yourself bringing to a recording most often? I'm always bringing harmony ideas in. Mm -hmm. Always doing like I'm really into background vocals. I think it just cause that that was my role in my band was I was the background secondary singer, and I love that stuff, you know, and probably. I mean, my father, you know, for 25 years, he was in a doo-wop group. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I mean, like, doo-wop was like, I, I love that stuff. And, you know, so harmony's always been a, a really cool thing to me. Um, I think to a lot of people, they feel the same way, you know? No, I, I mean, in that, I think that's the, the nice thing about being able to do that stuff, is that's what bands come armed with least of the time, is they're like, well, we wrote a main vocal, and that's what I've been singing in rehearsal, but, oh, wait, I was supposed to think about harmonies? Y yeah. But they, but they always want a ton of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, we want a lot of harmonies, a lot of stuff. All right, what do you got? But yeah, that's 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 something I'm definitely always kind of bringing in to the table. Um, and again, like just kind of back to like the songwriting, I'm, I voice my opinion as much as a band will let me, basically. Mm -hmm. And you play drums, guitar, anything else? 
and sing, obviously. Well, everyone plays bass, right? Uh, I, I mean, I, not not really me, because I never learned to play guitar either. So I'm, I'm just keyboards and drums. It's not, it's not too late. You can figure it out. Um, <laughs> You're probably right, but then the thought just scares me. <laughs> yeah, I started drums, guitar. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I love bass. I love playing. I love tracking bass, especially. But also piano. I play a little bit of piano. Nice. Yeah. So, I kind of wish I got into some of like the, like I wish I took band in school, but I'm also glad I didn't. You know, I wish I could play some horns or something. It'd be fun. Hmm. Does horns come up enough in your productions that that's something that you feel needed? I feel like it goes in waves, you know, but they're cool. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think when you put like a real horn on a song, or like a real string, it just goes to a different level. You know, uh, it, it's it, it's true. If there, there's real stuff there, it, like the I, I've been having this a lot lately. That it's just like, man, like every time we try to do this with keyboards, it's just that it usually bums me out more than it adds to it. Yeah, it's it's like the whole thing where it's, um, you know, you could sit there and you could comp a vocal take for hours and tune mm-hmm. it, or just do it again. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, sometimes it's not an option. We all know that, but yeah. especially with MIDI, and MIDI's just not fun to work with. I don't, I don't. That's probably just my background and where I came from, but it's. I don't never enjoy working with MIDI. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's d- d- definitely great when things have gone wrong. Yeah, and like <laughs> it opens up so many opportunities, but it's not. It's not like romantic. <laughs> yes, that's actually a great way of putting it. So, with talking about what bands don't bring in, uh, what's the biggest mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? I, I kind of touched on it like mm-hmm. earlier. I think it's communication. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, maybe it's 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 as, as simple as like them not talking about a direction even like what do we want to sound like you know mm. I've, I've had i've literally had bands like within like the same day tell me like oh we sound like i don't know like coding cambria and like oh we sound like newfound glory i'm like that is so different <laughs> you know but there's there's that but it's it just just like with recording though i think of like little things like i'm sure it's happened to you a bunch where you're doing like a scratch track or something and like Someone's like, hey, that's actually not the chord. You know, that's actually yeah. a B, a B minor. Or, you know, like, really? I never noticed that. Like, but they've been playing the song for, well, they probably weren't playing the song for very long, but that happens a lot. And I think, you know, I think it's also like, there's a lot of like, oh, we'll figure it out later kind of stuff. Yeah, that's such a bad idea. You know, which, which, I mean, I, I like the idea that they're open minded and we'll like, we'll try stuff. That's cool. But mm-hmm. we should also have a plan, you know? So I like what you said about this vision thing. Is there anything you can think of that, like, maybe you've done in the past with your bands or something, or you've had with successful productions, like, where bands should be thinking about the vision of their record and, like, what thoughts about that that they could have beforehand? Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think it just you just talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do you... And it usually stems from what you're into, you know? I've always been a big fan of, like, just kind of following your heart and playing songs that you truly love. You know, not putting on airs and not like doing what's cool at the moment. And really, when you make that decision early on, it solves so many problems down the line. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to be like, well, what should we do here with this like idea? And like people like racking their brains because like, what would Paramore do? And you're like, fuck that. What would you do? It's great that you're saying this because the whole basis of uh, the book I'm writing right now is basically that everybody, and you might have seen this too, since you've worked with hundreds of bands, is that. Every band that makes great music that I've ever worked with make it because it's the music they want to hear themselves. Every band that's made terrible music I've ever heard <laughs> is, is thinking, what would Paramore do? Uh, yeah, what do we do exactly. to get that? What will other people like? What can we do to get popular? Right. My biggest pet peeve, and I know that this is like a common thing that people do, but I can't stand referencing tracks while we're recording. Like, 
I, I get it sometimes, but I can't stand like, and I just make fun of a band I work with all the time. Um, they're great kids and they're super talented, mm-hmm. but they're constantly, well, go on YouTube and check out this song. Mm. And at a certain point, that just becomes it. Just it just feels wrong, <laughs> and I don't I don't know why, but it just feels wrong. So are you saying compositionally or tone wise? Because I sometimes find it helpful that like if somebody's like I don't like the guitar tone, I'm like, can you point me something you like, and then I'll realize like they're saying muddy, but what they really mean is they want biting treble that will rip your ear off, and I'm like, oh okay, you just don't speak the language the majority of us speak. That's that's actually a good point. Yeah, that that's fine. That yeah. is fine. And I've actually done something very similar where I'm like, well, go, like someone was like recently like, the guitars just don't sound big enough. And I'm like, dude, the guitar sounds massive right now. Mm-hmm. But they just don't understand that in a studio on like, you know, you know, on like a pair of Genelex or like whatever on, you know, NS10s, like it's not going to sound like in your car, you know? Yes. Um, and so I'll definitely pull up like, well, show me something you like. <laughs> yeah. And they'll be like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. It, it does sound pretty good. Yeah. I think sometimes... You know, it's like so funny. I say, I always say it's like the biggest problem with musicians is they're judging mixes today on laptops, and it doesn't oh, give that's a, the worst. and it doesn't like really give you a good basis to go off of. But a being what another song sounds like on a laptop, instead of a being what's in your imagination, it really brings you back down to earth. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something to be said for that. So I won't be so harsh. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I agree with you though on, on composition. Though is that composition and how a lot of times when you're like, well, let's do this. It's like, oh, great. So let's do what the band just did, and it'll be out of, out of style by the time your song comes out, and it'll be a tired idea because everybody's heard that already. You have a great point there. Right. Absolutely. I, I tell bands a lot. I'm like, you know, best case scenario, like you just like if your band takes off and you guys make it, trust me, you'll have a whole lot more fun playing the songs that you love that you wrote, you know, versus just playing something that you thought people would like and people ended up liking. Because you're going to play those songs a whole lot, you know? Um, I think that'd be a great quote to see on a picture on Facebook uh, that somebody's posting as insightful, because that's really good. That's really, really good. Cool. You should work on that for me. <laughs> no, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, be the picture with this episode. Um. <laughs> So I'll be like the I'll be like the Dos Equis guy. I'll just like you oh, know. Nice, nice. <laughs> What's a smart thing you see bands doing while they're in the studio? Not a whole. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> um, no, actually, I tend to agree. I was looking over the questions you sent, and I was like, "That's a really tough one." No, I mean it's just kind of the opposite of that. Just like talking about stuff, you know. That's smart. I think maybe something that happens a lot that people don't do in the studio that bums me out is when they don't listen to what's going on. You know, like. During pre-production, like we changed it so that every chord now is on the on the upbeat versus the downbeat, and then like you know you start to do track you start tracking bass later on, which I actually do. Again, something you said was tracking bass later in the process, which was a huge game changer, and I love it. But the bass player is doing the downbeat. You're like, dude, where were you the last six days? Yeah, and well, <laughs> it's also because the bass player is usually the member of the band that's not paying any attention and shows the easy. Yeah, but yeah. he's like, but he's like killing it on Xbox every day. You know? <laughs> it's, it's totally, totally. You know, it's really funny. That's now been. I think we've taped five episodes of this podcast so far. I think that's been three of them. <laughs> so, so I think we already have the trends. Um, here so bass players need to stay off the video games yeah right i mean like don't it's like don't make me take the xbox away from you guys yeah (laughs) there is something to that and i think that that's like one of the things i think and you talked about like the idea of like the being open to things and another thing i just don't think works out too well for bands like i never see the band that goes far after recording being the band that's like don't change anything 
And <laughs> I have heard other people say that's the there's an exception that they go this genius walks in their studio, but I think that's the one in a million. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, like. Even if it's like, I, I remember bumping heads with someone over this too, where it was like, but listen to the demo, listen to the demo, listen to the demo. And it's like, dude, there's a reason why your demo doesn't sound that good, mm-hmm. you know? Or like, well, when I recorded this song six years ago, I did this. I'm like, again, there's a reason why you're do- redoing it, you know? When you start questioning every little fucking decision along the way, it's like, I mean, I hate to be that guy, but it's like, just then don't come. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, there, 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 there is, if you were so in love with that, it's true. I think that there can be a place that the demo can give you a, new, a reference point where it's like, oh, okay, maybe we rethink this. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But there's also the thing of like, what works in a demo and a rough mix does not work, especially in the, oh, the type of music we frequent ourselves in. It's like, you know, I don't think anybody goes to us, you and I, to be lo-fi. And no. yeah. like, you know, they go to us because they want production. And if you want production, what works in a rough mix, like the vocal being 8 dB louder than the music, just because we were referencing, we ran it off at the end of the night, does not work when you're like, I want the vocal louder because that felt better to have it 8 dB louder than the music because then the music is weak. Uh, dude, that's why I have like the no rough mix policies. So, so that's so that, so that's an interesting <laughs> thing. So, so what did you, I, I do the same thing. So tell me where you came to that from just what you said like it ends up it it freaks people out mm-hmm. because they're like oh my god like drums sound like shit like no they don't they're great they're just not mixed mm-hmm. like a good mix does wonders for like everything mm-hmm. if a vocal is completely dry and upfront, which is great for some pop stuff but like for like a maybe like an ambient band like of course it's not gonna work right you know mm-hmm. and we're doing these rough mixes at the end of the day where we're tired we're cranky we're hungry, whatever. Yeah. And uh, like, you didn't put, you're not putting all that effort into it, you know? And then, like, I get like the email at two in the morning, like, oh my God, we got to redo the guitar. Calm, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> yeah. Just, just give me a second. I'll make a fresh mix for you and you will, you will stop, you will stop having a heart attack. Uh, so, do amp simulators have a role in your production? They do. Not, not too much, though. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great for scratch tracks. Uh, uh, agreed. They're great. I, I, I use them probably mostly with scratch tracks and the occasional, like, clean, maybe semi-dirty part. Like, if I want something really tight to the grid, mm-hmm. um, I'll choose to track it, you know, DI with an amp simulator mm-hmm. and, you know, elastic audio, like a, like a dotted eighth note or something like that. I want to get real real tight. But I just I just never get them to, to work. I, I think back to that whole romantic thing, too. Like, there's nothing like cranking up a guitar amp. Mm-hmm. And you do too. I mean, I, I've got a solid fifteen guitar amps here. So yeah, they, what I always see is you have a great collection of great stuff there. There's so yeah. many people's Instagram. I look at. I'm like, why do you own that? And your stuff is always awesome, except for the line six in the corner, which, uh, <laughs> hey. which it's on the bottom. It hasn't been turned on in a bunch of years, but like, no one's gonna actually buy it from me. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just keep it there. <laughs> well played. Um, <laughs> Sample drums, what role do they those have in your production? I uh, absolutely use them all the time. I'd say they probably find a way on the record 75% of the time. Mm-hmm. Very rarely am I using, like, unless it's like a straight up, like, you know, we're doing actual fake drums, you know? Mm-hmm. Very rarely am I just using the sample only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, like, I'll even just use samples sometimes just to trigger, like, a reverb or something. Uh, or a gate. It's great for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I think that that's something that gets lost is that old Andy Wallace trick for that, like, even if you didn't hear the sample in his mix, he was sending the sample the reverb. 
to something else right yeah it's that's great and you know and there's definitely a time where i just need a little more something to get above the 20 guitars going on in the mix you know mm-hmm. and you know or you know then there's just the the drummer that's not hitting hard yes <laughs> you know the, how about pitch correction all the time try not to abuse it but it's there i mean even a, even the best vocal takes can gain something from a little bit of we'll call it massaging yes i use melodyne primarily autotune sits on the harmony tracks a lot you know to mm-hmm. just kind of speed things along yeah but it does I mean there's not to say any names but there's definite definite people out there i've worked with that without those tools i wouldn't put my name on it <laughs> yeah or, or or let it leave the studio so they're they're great they're great tools Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got to realize, like, we're making records now in a friggin' week. Sometimes yeah. we're making them in, you know, an hour, like, you know, a day here or two days there. Like, we we don't have the luxury of let's all hang out for six months and make a record, you know, and and do eight hundred vocal takes and pick the very best one. Like, you know, the, the budget doesn't call for it, and people don't have the time. That that's a another great way of putting it is like you don't get to be Bruce Springsteen making Born to Run and record it six times over until you've got the feel perfect. Exactly. How so? With that, you you perfectly segued to my next question, which is uh, how long's too short usually? And you know, most cases every band's different, but how long's too short to record a song? How long is too long before the vibes killed? I mean, obviously, every song's different depending on the composition. Mm-hmm. Johnny, my manager, we generally tell people plan for. Roughly a day and a half per song, but again, it's it's so different. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's times where like you want to have more time. I think there's definitely the overkill factor, like you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which is probably pushing anywhere over three days can be a little little much. Mm-hmm. I had a group up from Texas just like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Great guys. They wanted like ten days to do three songs, and which was totally fine because I mean they're coming from Texas. They have, they obviously want to have that assurance they're going to finish. You mm-hmm. know. But I, you know, I said to them from the get-go, I'm like, we're, we, we may not need the time. And mm-hmm. sure enough, we were, we were done several days ahead of time, maybe two or three days ahead of time. It was great for them because then they're from Texas and they can go check out Manhattan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. There's so many. I mean, there's, I might have to think about that a little more. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, have a, you have a worst one without naming names and what you learned from it? Okay, well, so... Early on, and I'm, I'm just saying this because it was a long time ago, <laughs> I've, I've learned from it. Uh, I had a band in, and I did actually lose the drum tracks to one song. And that was just me. You know, I was, my workflow is so different now from that, how it was back then. And, you know, somewhere along the way, it just didn't completely copy before the eject was hit, you know, the drive was ejected. And then they were lost. Good thing was that the drummer was super tight. Uh, it didn't take long to set the drums back up, and he was still like, they weren't like from Texas or California, you mm. know. It was it was an easy fix to do, but that 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 was pretty terrible and super embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I probably I probably could have played it off and like, hey man, I was listening to the tracks and I think you could have done a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> when Alan Douches had a really good story of I think Douches, it, that's how you pronounce it. Douches, yes, yes. I've been saying it wrong all my life. Yes. Uh, I, okay. I, uh, so so the funny thing is, I worked in the office for him for two and a half years, and everybody would think would think it was said douches i was like everybody would always ask like how often do you get that i'm like i've never gotten that what are you talking about the last day i worked at worked at that, that studio somebody finally said it <laughs> <laughs> i always thought it was duchess or something uh, like that yes yes so but anyway uh, i think he said it was jack douglas who said this is that he would never he would ask the engineer have you ever erased a vocal take when you were punching in and if they said no 
he'd be like, cool, well, you're not ready to handle the tape for me because you'll, er until you erase something, you'll never be as careful as you are afterwards. That's super true. And I, and truth be told, I've had the exact same thing. And I, I don't think any anybody who tells you they haven't is either lying or so paranoid you probably don't want to work with them because they'll uh, they'll go over everything. You need to learn that lesson. You need to, you know, as the carpenters say, lose the first finger. Yeah, you got to burn the hand a couple times. Yeah, or, or at least once, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yes, I think that's I mean, the I, bad thing is when it's when it's somebody chronic. We've all seen that local studio owner where it's chronic. Yeah, and they always seem to happen like those kind of things. I mean, not that they happen a lot, but like computer problems. Problems always happen when like it's a really important project uh -huh. or something. And you're like, oh, what? You've worked, you know, every single day. You know, why are you doing this now? That's uh, that's something I will definitely admit that I'm not a super computer savvy guy. Mm -hmm. That's why I have friends, and I've been known to email you questions every once in a while. <laughs> like, how do you do this? Uh, <laughs> so like when like the computer just gives me like that error, mm -hmm. I, my my heart definitely stops for like a minute or two. You know, oh, you get yeah. that like the, you get the death screen. You're like, what what? It's never going to turn back on again. I know it. But yeah, what can you do? But all you can really do is like is just prepare for it and like back up as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times like the auto save on Pro Tools has saved my ass. Oh yeah, but we also learn to rely on it. <laughs> yes, we do. But you know what? I think I took for granted a lot was see. I actually have a. I'm working on a Hackintosh now off of the oh, studio. Yeah, and I love it. It's amazing. But anyway, um, the one thing about about it though that I had to learn the hard way was that you know when you get that error when you pull out a flash drive before you ejected it yes and you're like ah fuck it like that never means anything you know yeah that actually means something apparently oh it does yeah yeah I've had it happen I've never had it happen where it's detrimental to the record it just I just have to copy it again yeah no I had it happen where so what happens with mine is if you don't eject it properly and then you plug another drive in mm -hmm. it thinks that it's the other drive and I don't know what happens but nothing works you know so. You had to bust out. We had to go run to like Best Buy and get some Apple Care thing, or I don't know. Um, it worked out. And we ended up not losing anything, but that was fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, that, that that is not fun. But back to what you said, like I never make that mistake ever again. Yep, I, I, I think that there's, I, I think that's one of the funny things is like there's a lot of people who are naturally good at production at first, but you do need to make some of those mistakes. And for anybody who's young and starting out, like and feeling like they're the shit you're gonna make some of these mistakes and i think it's almost better when you make them with the shitty local band when you're first coming <laughs> up than than if you're like flying through your career like you know kind of like what happened with you guys in playview it's like thank god you weren't flying to the top and then all of a sudden you do that with a platinum band or something yeah no or, yeah or you make up a lie like green day and say that the uh all the uh, hard drives got erased you think it was a lie? Uh, I, I'm not going to use the word think. I know for a fact. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that was a 100% lie that they just really just made a record that they didn't like and then redid it. That's actually, I never thought twice about that. You know, like when, like when Taylor Swift does that shit with like Apple Music, I'm like, that's a lie. Yeah, that, like, that was a lie too. <laughs> but, but Green Day, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that they wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Like, what, they're on like their 80th record anyway? It's like, yeah. don't apologize. We get it. Yeah, I, I think it, it just, uh, you know, sometimes the publici publicist convinces you the more romantic, crazy story is a better story. Wow. Yeah. I was wor I was working with, um we did our first, our our second DP, actually, at Big Blue Meanie. Uh-huh. And Jay Cantor was the engineer there, and he told me a story. I don't think it was directly him or somebody, but there was some, like, live record they were doing mm -hmm. out in, like, California being mixed in New York. And somebody packing up the because back then it was recorded tape someone packing up took the tape and put it behind in the back of a twin oh like a fender my twin God. and so obviously the magnets just 
had a field day with it. And so they fly it back and the whole thing is not there. Oh my God. That's, a, that's actually a really good story. And so for the listeners, if you don't know this, it's like those magnets and uh, speakers can not only erase tape, but if you basically put your hard drive on top of your speakers, you're yeah. asking for data loss. Right. It's not definitely going to happen, but it, it can definitely be there. Could you, like, could you imagine though, like what that, costs oh my like, god and, and not to mention like it's just you can't get that back you can never mm-hmm. get that back mm-hmm. you know that's why i give like i give like the people that do like the live show audio stuff like a lot of credit um, yeah and, well, and we had a thing where mike actually, Ottinger, my you producer, guys did, right yeah you, we we did a mobile rig for you and what was it like somebody stage dived and ripped out a bunch of the cables no or it was like the very first song we're walking out and like you know like when you have like your family on the side of the stage mm-hmm and we had like it was our first show back in seven years so we had like 30 people on the stage uh-huh. and someone just like first song ripped out like one of the cables oh, um like tripped on oh my god yeah and, and when it's live that's all you got i guess that's also Don't why you're like see- almost in tears <laughs> oh jesus i think that's it. that's also the thing of why you see with the major budget bands it's like when you're doing a live record it's like you tape it for three nights you know, yeah. all, all comedy specials people don't realize most of the time the person's wearing two outfits for two sets. Right. <laughs> or one outfit, I'm sorry, for two sets. Right, yeah, I get it. So tell me about a record you did uh, that changed your life. Obviously my own record changed my life, but uh, producing, I would say it was the first uh, Hit the Lights, Skip School, Start Fights. There, mm-hmm. That was my first, like the first time, like those guys are fucking awesome. They, they, they took such a chance on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that record completely changed. That, that that went from being like just recording local bands to doing more stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the story with that was that we we worked on the demos. Like uh, randomly, they hit me up. Like because you know we I knew those guys from like our touring days, but very briefly, we were they were kind of on our way out. They were on their way up. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had just put out a record that was phenomenally well. Yeah, and then they came into my my old warehouse studio, the one that had no heat and water. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, like in the middle of a snowstorm even, and we, we cut like three songs, like three demos, probably in two days. It was a real, we were like, you know, worked till like two, six in the morning kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they came out fucking great. They really did. And we just hit it off. We have the same sense of humor. They're, they're just super tight, great, you know, great guys. And, you know, six months later, that, that lead singer quits the band. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and we had kept in touch and, Things were like, were really, they were like, you know, that band blew up quick, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he, it's, but it's, it's kind of amazing that you said, like, I forgot they had a different singer. That's pretty amazing that they, they overcame that, you know? It, it's so funny because, like, I only remember if I listened to that first record because I enjoy all those records. And, yeah. like, even the new one I really like. And uh, it's like that thing of, you know, you kind of forget because he did such a, you know, so few bands kill it when they get a new singer and you guys really did kill it on that record. Yeah, I think that was probably a, a big reason why I got the gig was, you know, they were like in this kind of holding pattern where they're like, we, you know, we, we don't have a singer anymore. We can't tour the old songs right now. We need to put a new record out. We're going to try out a bunch of singers. And, and I think they just were looking for so long. And eventually Nick was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do it. They hit me up like, hey, we're going to come out to Jersey and let's do a cover song or something to kind of try this out. So they come out. We did like a, a cover song. Uh, what did we do? What's that song? Uh, the Warrior. I oh, yeah. I, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. It came out. It was actually really great. Yeah. Uh, his voice was perfect for that cover, too. You know, I actually have me and Nick will share it to one another every, every like couple months or every year or two. I have like an acapella version of that song. <laughs> yeah. Cause like if there's one thing about Nick, he's like 
probably the best. Like he's so good at harmony, mm-hmm. like so quick and just nails it. And it's it's amazing. I'll send it to you at some point. It's I would it's love really to hear. Amazing. Yeah, no, I, I I'm a big fan of his singing. So basically, they came out and we actually did the the cover song. This is actually when I'm just in this new studio. My control room is not even built out yet. I'm doing basically like my what is now my lounge it was like a temporary control room. Mm-hmm. So we cut it there. Later that like end of the session, like hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna hit up Fred over at Equal at uh, Triple Crown. You know, we want you to, to produce the record. And I was like, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so that was like a really cool moment for me. I remember being like, all right, I just got to this new studio. Like we mentioned earlier, I'm freaking out about mm-hmm. like you know paying for it. And I'm like, wow, this is a really good way to kind of break the champagne bottle <laughs> yeah and then you know they, they went on to huge success with that record you guys i think that was the biggest record i'm pretty yeah. sure yeah and um, then they, it, yeah they went to a major label after that yep so you obviously hit the ball out of the park yeah it worked out great i mean it was definitely a really cool time to you know definitely a cool time in my life but also i think just in music too was a cool time yeah it was definitely like those records were working uh in that style right at, at that point it was part of the up part of the wave and it was like before that, like that black area where like no one knew how to make money anymore. Yes. So like, like that, like that record sold. Like, and I think people are figuring out again how to like sell record or you know, you know, make a living doing it again. But like, mm-hmm. it was like one of the last bands I was able to do that. You know, I think it sold something like seventy five thousand copies like wow. in the first year. That's that's unheard of these, yeah. these days. No, uh, seventy five thousand these days is a, a massive, massive, massive success, and that was a success back then too. Switching it a little bit, what's a perfect record? that you listen to from somebody else and why is it perfect uh honesty you know i I just i want to believe every word that the singer's saying Mm -hmm. but i also want to feel that the band believes it too like i think they're behind the singer you know Mm -hmm. um that's i've always been a big lyrical like being really big into lyrics Mm -hmm. and just you know delivery is just as important you know how about for you i'm a big guy on uh, emotion and i just want an emotional consistency through a record okay I don't love records that jump around emotions because I, I go to a record because I want to feel something. Yeah. So it's like if I'm like getting dressed to go out on a date, I want a record that hypes me up for that. And if I'm sad, I want to put on Elliot Smith and feel shitty for a while. <laughs> I hear you. Can you name me a record uh, by a specific band and artist that you think is close to perfect? Clarity, Jimmy World. Oh, well done, well done. It's just I, I that that record has that way of just pulling me back like it brings me i discovered that band on my very first tour when i was in uh the guys from houston calls we had a, a ska band again I'm like i can't mm-hmm. leave the ska behind uh we were i was in a band called i was in a band called face first with those guys that's right, right. I, played, yeah. I, I played drums for them our very first tour was across the country and i discovered those guys jimmy world's clarity on that drive i think jared gave me like a cd or something i popped into my disc man <laughs> uh yeah sat in the back of the minivan and just like so whenever I hear that record, it, just, it, it pulls me back to like the middle of the desert, like on that drive, um, and it just has a, a sound to it, you know. Like it's un- like you hear like the opening chord or like the opening drum beat, and you're like, I know what record this is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so somebody, I think I was listening to, I think it was Frank Turner said it. He's like, you know, that record still sounds like it could be made today, and that's yeah. so rare for any production. And makes it all the more shame that Mark doesn't produce records anymore. Because he's making donuts or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> no, but yeah, you're right, though. Like, it was like, they obviously were using Pro Tools, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, so I, I, th- I think he actually said that that was one of his first 
major records using like that he relied more on Pro Tools than he did tape. Can you tell, you can kind of tell though because mm-hmm. like you have like the last like Goodbye Sky Harbor. Oh, yeah. he's, just, he's just going off. It's almost like he, like a, a guy getting a new toy and being like, and I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do this. But it still you sounds know? really classic. And it really I remember, does. I remember when I interviewed him for Tape Op, he said that it, yeah, he was listening to a lot of Tortoise TNT. And Tourist TNT was the first record I ever heard that sounded good that was done with no tape and just Pro Tools. Cool. So I think that that makes sense that that was his influence and why he made it sound so classic. Also didn't help that they were in one of the best studios in the entire world. Where did they do that? Uh, Oceanway. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, can't get much better than that. No, it's 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 phenomenal. Like, and uh, just, like, ahead of, ahead of its time, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, like, like, like you said, like ahead of its time. But also, like, I don't know, just it pulls me right back to that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I have a million memories. Like, I get, I get the same thing as like I'm like driving through Philly and I'm breaking up with this idiot girl. Like every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> what's a favorite record of recent times, and what's inspired you about it? I'm really bad. You obviously seem like you're good at it. I'm really bad with like listening to new new music. Oh no, I'm um, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking terrible. <laughs> Really? I mean, I feel like you're always like, you know, you have like, you know, you, you're doing a freaking music blog, so you have to know a lot about that uh, kind of stuff. I, I'm very, I listen to, I will say this, so every year, like when I have to do the top 10, I'm like, it's a struggle to find 10 records I liked. But I also say this, is that I listen to more new music to not like it than anyone I know. Like I go through RDO's new release page, and I hit play on a million records, I like one out of 50 maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's what we do. It's so hard mm-hmm. to... Like you leave work. I hate to call it work, but it's yeah, work. It's, no, I mean you, you. I mean you and I work a million days a year doing this. Like, yeah, you, you get home. It's like I, you know, I I'm fortunate enough where I live three miles from my studio. Oh wow, yeah, that's fortunate. So the drive home is either silent or it's me like checking out a mix that I did. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to like listening, it's like I, I when I jog, I tend to listen to audiobooks because it's same. You know, it's. Audiobooks and podcasts all all I basically hear. Yeah. And then even like when I do like long, like every year we do go down to North Carolina for vacation and that's a long 10 hour drive. Mm-hmm. Music is usually like, hey, let's put on Pandora and listen to like the 90s station. Because it's almost like, you know, when, when I have time to listen to music, I want to listen to stuff that's familiar and stuff that, that is kind of comforting and brings me back, like discovering new stuff. And I hate myself for it. That's just, mm-hmm. that's just, but that's just like, that's the downside to doing this, you know? Yeah. I- you know, when um, I first started working in this, everybody who mentored me, I noticed how little music they listened to, and I was like, I'm never going to be that. And just yeah. like any time you say, I'm never going to be that, say hello to yourself in 10 years, and you're going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like, but I hate it, because like, people will play me something, I'll be sitting here, and like someone's listening to something in the lounge, I'm like, what is that? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And it gives me ideas, like, it's like, I hear stuff, and just gotta do it more. I just don't. That's what I like about when you know you work with the band and they play you something like you know like this week I had that um, Paris PVRIS band. They were playing me that, and I was like, man, this is fucking killer. I'm listening. I'm getting inspired to try new things in the mix and like yeah things like that. But never am I gonna listen to that around the house. <laughs> Let's be honest, you are. <laughs> I, I listen to much more embarrassing things than that. <laughs> but so like, but two records that I would I I did actually you know think of what. I do. I did really dig, and this is when I say recent. It's actually not that recent. It's probably in the last two years. No, that's great. But the newest Paramore record, I think, is phenomenal. What I love about it is just I just think it's it's raw, but it's polished, and she just sounds amazing on it. So that's that's one, and then also the Thirty Seconds to Mars stuff. I think is just really cool as well. I mean, it's not stuff that like I really thought that I would be like 
really into, but hey, you know, fuck it. Yeah, no, whatever m- m- makes you happy. When a band is good, a band is good, you know? Yeah, no, I, I have to have it all the time that um, I will hate a band upon looking at them and then admit to myself that, you know, I had that hard time with that recent Justin Bieber single. I had to be like, I, I like this and it sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, flute, that recorder hook, it's just great, and I enjoy it. Actually, I actually don't know it, I gotta oh, be wow, honest. wow, wow, you are a lucky, lucky man. Because <laughs> you don't have to admit you like Justin Bieber like me. So, did, you go, did you order a t-shirt? No, 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 you, you know, really I was thinking uh, I was just gonna get that weird hairdo you got, but... Uh, Maybe I'll get you a t-shirt, no. that'll be like my, my gift. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so... Obviously, it's hard to say top five records ever, but give us five records that really did something for you in your musical growth that are classic records to you. Growth? Cool. That's actually a good way to put it. I didn't think Mm -hmm. of it that way. Because I definitely had stages, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So let's go. Early on, I was a grunge kid. So let's do... Mm -hmm. To pick one... God, people are going to fucking make fun of me for this, but Stone Temple Pilots, Core. Oh, dude, but that record sounds amazing. All their records are some of the best stuff for production inspiration ever you know actually i never thought about who who did the records you uh, know? brendan o'brien oh that makes sense yeah then. yeah like the fucking king yeah. king whose sound got very out of, outdated in time yeah i mean they were just oh i could tell i loved stp was like i actually had a t-shirt stp that i wore every other day through high school <laughs> because like because I never, I never wanted to be the smelly kid but i loved the shirt so yeah. i would wear it my mom would wash it i'd wear it the next day and you know had uh, holes in it. Wow, you you and I had a very similar uh, thing in that. <laughs> Just my, my my chain wallet and my oh yeah Doc Martens when they were before they were now they're cool again. But you yes. know, <laughs> I, I I always go back to my jeans that had a lot of uh, cigarette ash on them from uh, working in the clubs and uh, being around all the kids. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, I I loved STP, especially I mean Scott Wyland. Love him or hate him, but he just was such a fucking powerful frontman. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I always bring this up, and I want to bring it up, is he might be the only singer I can think of, or not only, but where he uses multiple characters when he sings. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, he goes into a different voice that, like, dead and bloated is just like this, rah, rah, you yeah. know? Like, that kind of thing. And then he does, like, the whole, like, screamy thing, and it's... Yeah, people make fun of me for it, but it's no, it's, it's, I, you're, you're, it's amazing. That, he, he's very good. I, I think the two other. I, Can you actually auto tune that though? That, that I went to that one note there. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think Joe Strummer and Mike Patton are like the over exaggerated yes, versions. Exactly. They're the over exaggerated versions of that. Whereas I think Wyland brought it to a more pop context. Who else? Okay, so that's the grunge era. Then I would say. From there, I mean, the next thing I got really into was the Skyer. You okay. know, I got into the punk Scott stuff. So I would say Less Than Jake. Mm-hmm. Picking a record, it's a tie between Losing Streak and Hello Rockview. Yes. And so you can imagine how fucking stoked I was when we got when hidden and toured with those guys. Oh, yeah. That must have been awesome. JR, the, the sax player, has become like, he actually managed us for a while. He's become like a oh, great wow. friend of mine. Um, every year we do, uh, he has a, a memorial golf outing for his father. Oh, wow. Uh, and so we go up and we play that. and. It was actually funny because last year I played with Chris, the singer of Lesson Jake. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, I mean, like, it's, you know, I never told him this. But the whole time I'm thinking, what the fuck would, you know, 15-year-old me be thinking that, you know, 15 years down the road, you're going to be playing golf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the lead singer of Lesson Jake, you know? Those things are the best. They're much better than when you think of 15-year-old me who would think I'm an asshole. 
<laughs> right. So I, I love that shit. I love that band. And probably from there, I don't know. Then I got more into like the like saves the day. I would say mm-hmm. saves the day, uh, through being cool. I would say. Mm-hmm. Love that band. Back to the, I love Chris's lyrics. So yeah, he he is really one of a kind with lyrics. And Steve did that record. Did you know him back then? Uh, I met Steve right after that. Um, cool. And then what I, of course, did is I weaseled my friendship into being able to, I think we were mixing the Alistair record, and I weaseled my way into hearing the real for Through Being Cool and hitting solo on it. And I was just like, how did you make a JCM 2000 sound that good? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I would love to know the details on that record. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, I, I, um, well, but, uh, And that record would have been your console. Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that, so, that's that super had tight. Been, yeah. Good to know. Yeah, and I think that record also is something crazy, like 10 days. What is it? Like, they took 10 days to record and mix it. Wow. I might be, like, 14, but, like, they really well, I mean, did it that. makes sense. I mean, it's, it's very minimal. There's not, like, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. Chris, I also noticed when we did uh, Sound the Alarm, he's one of the most, going back to what we were saying, it's like, this is a prepared person with a vision. He does not walk into the studio having, well, he's willing to improvise, but... He's got a pretty clear vision of what he wants and really has it planned out before he walks in the room. And I, I've seen him like dozens of the time. They're always, always nailing it. So I can't yeah. imagine it was too hard. Yeah. I mean, great musicians as well. So, yeah. And then, um, yeah. So from that era, then probably then, you know, Jimmy Roll, I already mentioned Clarity would be like another one. And then to name one more, you know, I'll just say like, the Beatles anthology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that'll do I it. I mean, it's just classic, and I just, I love it. Well, I think that, you know, obviously this is a lot about people getting to know you, and I think that there is the thing of that there's people who the Beatles have a big effect on, there's people who don't, and what I always notice, it's like the people who the Beatles have a big effect on really know melody and harmony really well, and you're another great example of that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So it's, it's the truth. Yeah, they, they, uh, they were absolute kings at that and and just amazing songwriters i mean some of those songs they seem so simple then you actually like write it out and you play it and you're like this is genius you know like change keys mid-song you know and you know but it's seamless you know mm-hmm. so what have you been working on lately so much stuff I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if it's like if it's if it's similar to you but there's just so much i feel like with like the lp being like a dying breed mm-hmm. that doing tons of EPs, singles, yes. three songs. So like the, the days of a band coming here and living for two months or a month or even like two weeks, is, it's, it's unheard of really, you know? I have a very, very similar for me. So it's a lot of one group's in for two days and then they're back two weeks later or a month later, you know? So a lot of different stuff going on. I'm working with this super talented girl, Gina. She goes by Gina Royale. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of a young Fiona Apple, a little poppier though. Wow, I want to hear that. Yeah, so she's like she's like pop, but uh, plays piano. You know, great songwriter. You know, she shouldn't listen to this because she'll get a big head. But she's writing songs that are beyond her years. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but super talented, and she's a joy to work with. Also, I mentioned that the band from Texas, Otenki. Mm-hmm. There, we did like a pop EP, really cool. Just last week, I had a band called London Eyes. They were down from Connecticut. They're great. They're phenomenal lead singer. They're kind of like a Maybe like a an Evanescence almost. Mm-hmm. Not quite as punk, but also still... Not quite as alternative, I should say. More punk. Mm-hmm. A band from New York State called Reckless Serenade, which are great. They're kind of doing the whole revival thing, like the emo revival feel. Oh, nice. Uh, another phenomenal singer. Great guys. They're actually on tour right now, so if people are reading this, you can check them out. Kevin Burke is a kid from Long Island. He's... I, I might have, you know, 
talked a, uh, a little out of place, but I said that he, to me, he reminds me of like a young Billy Joel, hmm. almost, almost a young Paul McCartney too. Hmm. Again, plays piano, plays guitar. He actually, he actually, believe it or not, played everything on the record. Wow. And, and like did it fucking great too. That, that, that's a rarity. Yeah, we did an EP, me and him, five songs, four days, and he played everything. Wow. And killed it. Yeah, because it's pretty rare that, like, you know, you're not going to interview and be like, you know, maybe we do need somebody to take care of these drum parts, like... Completely, you know, especially because he actually called me and was like, I actually don't own drums, are you cool with that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fucking, yeah. are you kidding me? I'm having the heart attack for you right now. But he showed up and he, he, uh, he just didn't own drums, that's simply, that's all it was. He plays them phenomenally, though. He was, like, in, in art school, basically, and was like had that first semester, I'm not going to do this, and i got to do music, you know? It's, it's, it's how a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of the best come into it. <laughs> but kind of on a, on a similar note, a story that's funny is I actually remember recording an artist one time that, again, was like, um, V emails like, yeah, I play everything, I'm a one-man band. I'm like, cool, it's great. Had a really rough garage band demo. So like, he shows up to the studio, and cool, I'm like, you know, just kind of getting to know one another. I'm like, all right, well, the drum kit's over here, we'll probably start with drums, I'm going to go set some stuff up and take the dog out. Just, you know, get, get comfortable and we'll get started. And I, I remember like walking out, taking Molly out, whatever. And I come back in and I realized that like nothing got moved. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he brought symbols with like, that's on my, my prep sheet, bring symbols yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, so I, I remember like walking out and being like, Hey, do you, uh, do you need any help like setting stuff up? Is there any problems? Like, well, I never actually played drums. <laughs> and I'm like, you 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 can't make this shit up. <laughs> wow. And uh, I guess what he meant was, and I guess it's people are so people are writing songs on GarageBand now, and that's what they do, you know. And it didn't seem weird to him, so we we made it work. I played drums. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that's the nice thing is that you would play a lot of instruments, so you could fill in the blanks when somebody has a blank. Yeah, but that was that was kind of a funny story. So Other bands, Parks Landing, awesome band. They're from Baltimore. They uh, to me, they're like a female-fronted Third Eye Blind, almost. Oh, wow, that sounds cool. Which is really cool, because she kind of almost, not rap, you know, he kind of raps his words a yeah. little bit, you know. I, I, so somebody once uh, said, he doesn't rap, he speaks jive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like that a little, because it makes me feel a little less guilty about how much I like Third Eye Blind, and how lame he can be sometimes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Just, you know, sometimes his lyrics get into the bad taste zone of, I'm like, oh, do you have to ruin it for me, dude? Yeah, I, I, I understand that for sure. Another band, which I know are actually, they're probably listening because they're fans of your show, uh, from States Away. They're from Connecticut. They're like awesome punk rock band. Yeah, work with a lot of stuff. Uh, actually, Like Crazy, which we, you, you mastered their first EP. Yeah, that, uh, they were very talented. They're fucking great. They, they switched out singers on the female side of stuff. Uh, so we're working on their new EP. It's it's phenomenal. And so, but you're missing something because you're so selfless that you just made a new hidden in plain view EP. Can you tell us about that? Oh, thanks. Yeah, um, yeah, we did. We uh, we did like a little seven inch. They call them, you know. Seven inch. Uh, wow, you guys are <laughs> retro now. We are. Yeah, we did it over. I guess last winter, or you know, it's hard to find time to record yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so it's it took it took a little bit longer, but we uh, we actually teamed up with Rise and did a seven inch. It's out. Awesome. Um, you can uh, check it out on iTunes and all that stuff. Um, it's great. It was actually, you know, we did the reunion show and it wasn't too hard. It didn't take much thought to be like, hey, we should, uh, you know, I have a studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes it a lot easier. 
So, you know, I actually hit the guys. I'm like, you know, guys, I've actually been playing those old songs again, like getting ready for the show. I'm like, wow, I actually, I remember, like, I remember loving this shit, you know? So I find myself just like writing riffs and stuff and ideas and like song ideas sort of come up. I'm like, you know, I got some ideas, like, let's get together. And we planned it like to, we flew out our drummer because he's out on the West Coast now. So he flew in for a long weekend and we banged out like seven, I had seven ideas for songs, really. Mm-hmm. So we banged out like seven drum tracks. Kind of back to like you, you hinted on it, like having like things have a theme, you know, mm-hmm. doing like a seven inch or an EP. We're like, we don't want it to be scattered brain. We made that mistake early on in our career of having like four different styles on one EP and it was weird. Really? Which, which, which one did you feel like that? I, I really enjoyed you guys' EPs. I didn't feel like they were that inconsistent. I think our first EP on drive through was weird. Hmm. It just, I don't know. We, I think it probably just that you, you just got signed and you're fucking, we were the guys second guessing ourselves probably, uh. you know? And just having all these songs, and like, all right, you're going to do an EP. And we're like, well, but we're not a heavy band. And we're also not a pop band. And we're also not a punk band. We're a kind of this alternative, you know? So we're like, let's just mix it up. And we'll do different styles. So that's kind of where it got weird. But, 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 you know, so somebody who produces a lot of EPs, don't you think that that's like the wonder of the first EP, though? Is that like, that's how you find yourself and decide what you're going to do for your LP? Like, I love that about EPs for bands these days. It's like, yeah, just start to decide who you are and figure out what feels good. Yeah, yeah, there's def- that's definitely true. But it's just, it, I think it's, I think it's just hard to kind of spread your wings, you know. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, that's all the questions I got. I want to thank you so much for doing this. And thanks um, for having me, man. I really, I really had a great time. Yeah, this was a, a very fun conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 